we have Mike Betts with us, uh, Mike and Sue down from Lowestoft. Uh, Mike leads the relational mission group of churches, network of churches, family of churches, whatever you, phrase you want to use, but uh, he's with us today, so it's great. So let's welcome Mike as he comes to speak. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's good to be with you. Um, Sue and I were just saying to ourselves, uh, Andy, is it Lauren? Yeah, that was the best we have ever heard in any church ever to recruit for serving. I mean, honestly, (laughs) phenomenal. Phenomenal. It just, you want to sign up for everything. Just whip yourself into a frenzy of activity and then blame those two. If you'd like to turn to Matthew 13, and we'll just read what may be familiar to some. I'm going to try and be as economical with time as I can, we have a lot to fit in today. So, Matthew 13, 1 to 8. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away." Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then over into uh, verse 18. Then hear the parable of the sower. So Jesus then is explaining what it means. Let anyone, uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, sorry, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, and this is the verse we're particularly going to look at today, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, or some versions call it the anxieties of the age, so that's, but the anxieties of the age, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Father, I pray that you'd help us in this time we have together around this, uh, this narrative, this, uh, this, sorry, this parable. Lord, help us. I pray that you'd touch our hearts. We, uh, we need you, Holy Spirit, to... Reveal truth to us. It's not just information. We need you to give us insight. We need you to speak to us individually, corporately, 
Lord, we need you. We're very dependent on you. So I pray, Lord, you'd help me just to know what to press in on, what to leave, um, just to make good use of the time. So we just commit ourselves to you. Say, Holy Spirit, rest upon us for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, Steph gave me the remarkable title of... uh, if everybody, in, if everybody knew what was going on, my, on in my head, nobody would want me in this church, uh, which is all to do with, <laughs> all to do with actually, if we summarize, it's about dealing with anxiety and cares of life, because I would imagine most of us perhaps feel we're a little unusual or odd, or we think, well, I don't expect anybody f- thinks like I think, or I don't expect anybody gets troubled by the things that I get troubled by, or I best, I'm the only person in the church who worries about this or is troubled about that. So I'm going to try and dig into some of these things. And um, uh, the first thing to say about this parable, just as we get into it, is, is it's not only talking this parable tends to be um, associated with the preaching of the gospel, perhaps, and for the first time somebody hears it, and there's lots of responses to the first time somebody hears the gospel. That's not actually said anywhere. It's saying whenever the word of God is preached, whenever. So it's whether you're here today and you've known Jesus as your Savior for many, many years, the same thing is true. It's whenever the word is preached, we can have lots of different responses in our hearts to what's being said. And it may be that you are here this morning and you are on the edges, as it were, of Christian experience, Christian faith. Maybe you come along with friends, you've been coming for a little while, and you're trying to work out where you are with, with the gospel, is it true? If it's true, what are the implications? You know, you've got to, there's, there's things to think through. Some of us have Damask, what we might call Damascus Road experiences, like the Apostle Paul, where he had a sudden encounter with Jesus and was converted on the spot. Some of us have that. For others of us, it's a bit more like the story of the Emmaus Road, where there was some um, people walking with Jesus for actually quite a long period of time, talking to him, asking him questions. They didn't realize who he was, and suddenly their eyes were opened after a journey. So you may be in any, any of those, that, that spectrum of what God's doing in your life. I want to say to you, if you don't know Jesus, first thing is, please, please, give consideration to the gospel above everything else in your life. I think one of the biggest challenges today is not so much when we hear the gospel, we've got lots of other philosophies that contend with it and we give time to thinking about them all and we reject it because we think, yes, I've got other answers that make much more sense than the gospel. I don't think that's primarily how people living in 2020 now, particularly in in this great city, think. I think most people are just so busy, they don't have time to think about anything. It's like, uh, if you say, where are you going to go when you die? Your eternal destiny rests on the truth of these things. I've got to catch a bus. I'm late for work. I've got to do this. I've got to pay the bills. Ah, it's more that there's so many things choking, choking the serious consideration of of eternal things. It's, It's a it's an age, it's an anxiety of the age that actually makes us think, I'll, I'll think about that later, think about that later, think about that later. And for many of us, that later never comes. Or we just get so into life that we, we never give 
And we, we never give consideration to the gospel. So if you're here this morning and you've not given your life to Jesus, please, please, don't let the anxieties of this age choke the word of God. Give consideration to it. Think about it. Press pause on everything else. When I became a Christian, actually it was because when I listened to the gospel, I thought, I don't want to go to hell. Being blunt, and and, and that was the little scrap of truth I'd said. I thought, my goodness, there's an eternal destiny I've got to deal with. that, that, That is a serious issue. Something the Bible calls hell. An eternal separation from God. We've got to wrestle with these things. If you're not a Christian this morning, please don't just get drowned with all the cares of life. I can't give time to that. can't give time to that. We must give time. Don't let the seed fall on the, the ground and birds come and devour it. So it's gone straight away. The moment you get back out of here. God's, the fact you're here shows God's got his hand on you. And if you're journeying, well, journey to Christ this morning. Journey to him. But the, what I want to focus on is, is, is verse, particularly verse 7. Verse 4, it's about distractions. As I've said, we can just get so distracted that we just don't let the word of God go in. Verse 5, it's like no depth, so we treat it casually. It's just like, well, you know, oh, well, I can't really, that's not really impacting me. Verse 8 is talking about the good soil where we hear God's word, and it really does penetrate us and starts to actually begin to bring some fruit in our lives. We begin to change. But verse 7 is what we're particularly focused on. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And uh, in verse 22, we get the explanation. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the anxiety of the age or the cares of the world um, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, everyone here has got the anxiety of the age resting on their shoulders because we all live in it. We're all, we're all surrounded by life, by stuff. There's lots to manage. Uh, so it's not about how to stop all the, the stuff that life contains. It's about how do we live a God-centered and a God-peaceful and a God-ruling life in the midst of the anxieties of the age. That's what I want to try and get at. It's to how to live also as a church, as salt and life, salt and light, in, in and amongst a community, in the midst of thousands of people all around us who are, as the Bible describes, harassed and helpless. People who are just stressed by the anxieties. How do we live as salt and light? Because it's not just about our words telling people about Jesus, is it? It's about living something that actually makes people think, goodness, you are different. Why are you different in a good way? You know, why are you different? And uh, we've got to, we've got to allow, uh, stop illegitimate things ch- uh, choking the goodness of God's word in our life. Now, let's just dig into what he says here about... Um, Soil and seeds and all that, uh, all that kind of stuff. Now, it says about uh, seeds falling among thorns and thorns growing, thorns growing up and choking them. Now, every bit of soil has weeds in it. Any of you who do any gardening or have ever, you know, 
had a garden or watched a garden, you just, whatever you do, soil, there's always seeds that are weeds that grow up. You can't do anything about it. It's just there. You can clear them all. And no matter what you do, two weeks later, there'll be another lot coming back. Now, you can, you can either leave it and think, ah, oh, this is just too much like hard work. In which case, what happens? The weeds win. Or you can think, I've got to diligently attend to this soil so that I pull out the weeds so that the garden doesn't become overgrown. If you've ever been uh, into the countryside and you've watched a field, you've seen a field that's been left, well, what happens to it? Is it nice, lovely brown soil waiting, waiting to be sown? No, it's just chaos. It's just weeds everywhere. It's just uncultivated mess. A field left to itself will not be full of lovely flowers swaying in the breeze or a like a, uh, a whole crop of barley or corn. It won't be like that. You don't, can't leave a field to itself. So likewise, we cannot leave our hearts to tend themselves. It just doesn't work because weeds will grow. The soil always produces weeds. Our hearts are like soil and there's always going to be weeds growing up. We have to give attention to it. We have to become gardeners, as it were, of our own, the soil of our own hearts. And life, I think, is a long process, walking with Jesus, learning how to cultivate the field that is our life. You know, it's, it's Jesus teaching us how to cultivate so that we produce, not a field full of weeds, but a field that's 30, 60, 100-fold fruitful. And do you know what? For many of us, it can be a repeated process um, of tilling the same ground until all of life becomes what we want it to be. So in, in nature, every spring, the same old weeds will appear in any field because they're there in our hearts. Isn't it true? If we just sometimes just lose, I don't know, lose a little bit of attention to ourselves. The same old weeds grow back. We, we end up sort of worrying about the same old stuff, thinking about the same old stuff, and thinking, oh, here comes another crop of the same old stuff. That's because, uh, you know, seasons p- p- produce uh, the same old weeds. Um, and many of us, it's at different seasons of life, different kinds of weeds spring up. And I don't know, you can, in, in younger years or in uh, early married years or when you've been married a long while or when you've got children or when you're older, different weeds can come up and choke the goodness of God. Anxieties, cares, we have different things that worry us at different seasons of life. And sometimes you can go through life and you think, wow, not had that one before. That's a particularly nasty weed that I'm now worrying about. We have to deal with it. Does that make sense? So it's, life is just a little bit like that. We feel we've got to... We feel we'd like our emotions, our minds, and our hearts to be like the... I was trying to think of an example, I think, uh, from from around here, right? We'd like our minds to be like the well-ordered shelves of Muji. (laughs) You've been... I love Muji. You know what Muji... You've been into Muji? Yeah. I love Muji. Everything's in the right place. Even if I don't buy it, it just makes me feel good. Because it's where it should be. It's all in the spread rows. Whereas most of our lives actually are a bit more like the Primark t-shirt stand. <laughs> it's just kicking it everywhere, and it's just stuff everywhere. And it's, 
I mean, can you imagine a worse job to be given? It's almost like a punishment. You're on the T-shirt stand. <laughs> no, please, not the T-shirts. They've got them all nice and boof, someone comes along. There's always people walking around, they've got T-shirts all around their shoes. <laughs> now, that's, that's just what life sometimes does to us. You think, oh, I'm not like Muji, my Primark. <laughs> and the thing is, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have to realise God understands our frailty. He, he really does. He's not, he's not harsh with us. He understands we're battling with very difficult things. 2 Corinthians um, 4, 7 says, but we have this treasure, that's the gospel, but look, it's in jars of clay. We're, we're not super, superman or superwoman. You know, we're, we're jars of clay. We've got wonderful treasure, but jars of clay. But notice he said, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. So when we're troubled, worried, anxious, and sometimes we think, man, I'm, my life, I'm just such a muddle in my head. Worried about this, cared about, anxious about this. And we think, oh, Lord, you must get so frustrated with me. And the Lord says, you're a jar of clay. Don't worry. You've got remarkable treasure in something very fragile. But you know what? What that proves is that the glory actually doesn't, the power doesn't belong to us. It comes from God. So there's something we need to feel reassured firstly because you, think, you might be sitting here thinking, yeah, but oh, you're, worrying. you're now reminding me of all the things that worry me. I, I've got to stop worrying. I've really got to stop worrying. I'm worried that I can't stop worrying. But God said, whoa, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You're fragile. You're fragile. Now, I think that worries and anxieties tend to have three main sources. And we'll just look at those, the things that... Th- the three types of things that choke the soil of God's, um, the, the word of God. And then we'll uh, try and look at some, some practical things. So three main sources. And, and um, they, it's not all one thing. It can either come from the world, the flesh, or the devil. So I'll try and explain what I mean by that. So anxieties of the age, it talks about there. We talk about the world. Well, I think some of the things we live in at the moment is overstimulation, over-information, the pace of life, social media, work environments. It's frantic, isn't it? It's, it's just full on. And because we know so much so quickly, you can be worried about coronavirus one minute, and then you can be worried about Storm Karina the next minute. And it's like you've covered the globe in 30 seconds. So you're worrying about everything that's going on in the world. I mean, the, the, now... People who lived in previous centuries where you didn't have push-button access, they didn't worry about so many things because they didn't know what was going on. Blessed people. <laughs> we, I mean, if there's, you know, an, something happened, any corner of the world now, it's in front of you within seconds. That is a very anxious age to live in because we're confronted with... And, and the way that media, newspapers, everybody, you know, that is vying for our attention will ramp up the way it's presented to get our attention. So it's always overstated. So you've got global information overstated all the time, and we're worried why we're anxious. 
So we, we live in a world that is constantly gnawing at us to be concerned. So even if you think, I'm just going to sit still quietly for five minutes and just rest, whatever. As soon as you look back at your phone or television, or what, you're back in it. So we've got to learn not so much to become sort of monastic and withdraw from it all, become all like the Amish people, although I can understand why they did it, but that wouldn't go down well in Camden. Well, nobody would notice in Camden, would they, to be honest? But in the Amish lifestyle is, is not the answer, to become withdrawn and monastic. No, we've got to learn how to navigate better. How do we live in this world? Jesus has help for us. He has help for us. So the, the world produces anxiety. That's, that's, that's one thing. Then we've got uh, the flesh that produces anxiety. And by, by, I mean, by that I mean what the Bible calls our flesh, like us. The you that is uniquely you. The way you think, the way you feel, your personality, your gifts, your education, your, everything that is about you. And, and the flesh, yourself can actually produce thorns and thistles that choke, uh, the, the, the anxieties that, that choke God's uh, desires for us to be fruitful. Now that can mean simply this, some of us are more prone to worry than others. Now, is that nature? Is it nurture? I, I honestly don't know. All I would say is this, I know it's true. Hands up if you're a worrier. Right, hangs up if you think, oh, I'm not worried about anything. Look at them, be like that dude. That's great. I mean, he's like, okay. I mean, and all those who put your hands up saying, I'm a bit anxious, are looking at those who put their hands up saying they're not anxious. I want to be like that. But the thing is, we're not. Some of us worry even sometimes if we haven't got anything to worry about. Think, why am I not worrying? There must be something I've got to think about. <laughs> so something wrong with me. I'm not thinking properly. Because some of us are just wired that way. Our flesh leans us into anxiety. We've got different sort of thought patterns. If you're creative or if you're a practical person. Um, Our environment we live in. um, Lifestyle, diet, exercise. Practical things do do affect how how we might be in... in, uh, um, sometimes if we're a little too isolated, if, if you're prone to worry, being a little isolated means you just end up getting yourself into such a spiral of worry and then someone who talks some sense to you spends 10 minutes and you think, oh, whatever was I worried about? You ever had that? Because sometimes we just need that, someone just to give us perspective. So we can battle against our flesh and um, uh, and. and it is an ongoing battle. I have to keep raking the soil over, pulling the weeds out, thinking, no, I know I tend to be prone to worrying about that. I'm going to just pull that out. Don't need to do that. And then there is uh, what I would call the, there's the world, the flesh, and then there's the devil. Now, those of you who are prone to worry are probably going to be worried by what I'm now going to say. So just to, it's a bit of a, you know. Sometimes we can have ingrained thought patterns over a long period of time, which no matter what we do, prayer, uh, counsel, trying to be different, we find ourselves almost trapped in a way of thinking and feeling 
that sometimes doesn't have its origin just in our humanity, but can have its origin in what we might call a stronghold of the enemy. And the stronghold is, if you want a definition of a stronghold, it is a, a collection of thoughts that are ungodly. Right? So it's a collection of thoughts. And a stronghold in biblical terms was a big castle that was built in the middle of wherever the battlefield was. And no, it was impregnable. You just couldn't get in there. It was, it was a strong place of fortress-like, fortress-like thinking, if you want to use our analogy today. And sometimes the devil can work in our minds through things we've been through or, uh, or spiritual experiences or ungodly experiences. It can be all sorts of reasons, lots and lots of reasons why it can happen. And we can find ourselves stuck in a certain way of thinking. And the Bible talks about being, renewed, uh, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It talks about taking captive every thought. Sometimes I found just, you know, in, the number, in a lot of years of pastoral work that I've been involved in, that sometimes everyone, people can put real big effort into changing the way they think, and they find themselves just really stuck sometimes. What, I, what I've found is that um, healing prayer with trusted friends or trusted um, uh, pastoral, pastoral workers within the church can often be necessary just to break particular habitual thoughts. I've seen that happen again and again with people. I tend to use it as the last resort. I tend to say often we just change. The fruit of the Spirit starts to work in us through the Word of God, through prayer, through leading a godly life. But it may just be that some of you, some of you, maybe just a small percentage of you, think, you know, I've been doing all the right things, but there's just some things I just keep getting tripped up over, and I think I just need some extra help. And it can be that we bring stuff into the Christian life with us that just needs a little bit of extra healing prayer. I've also found sometimes praying in tongues. Uh, if you've got that gift, or if you haven't got that gift, get it, right? You can have that gift to, to pray in tongues. And sometimes we don't understand what's going on, us, on within us, but we just pray and say, Lord, would you take these prayers that are with my spirit, not with my mind, and use them to be very powerful to help me grow in the things uh, of God. And um, I could give lots of uh, illustrations on that, but for time's sake, I, all I would say is the kind of image I'm using for this is um, if you can imagine yourself uh, on a rope above a bucket, right, and um, a stronghold is like this. You think, well, I don't want to get into that way of thinking because uh, that leads to you know, sinfulness and ungodliness. I don't want to go there. And it's almost like a stronghold is like the devil's got a pair of scissors that he can just cut the rope when he wants and boom, you're in. And you're just, ah, just caught in that again. When God breaks the power of strongholds, you're still on the rope above the bucket. And if you choose to, you can let go and just jump in and start thinking in old ways. It's your choice. But sometimes healing prayer means that the devil's scissors are removed. So rather than being unable and feeling powerless to change habitual thought patterns, healing prayer can remove the power that the enemy has. We still have the choice, do I want to just you know, get into that? Or we can say, no, I am able to say no and be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So I found that 
just helpful in hel- helping people understand you know, what's perhaps going on. So I just want to get now, uh, last little bit, into sort of some practical things. Right, so I've now perhaps made you all aware of the fact you're all worried. So what do we do about that? First of all, it's normal for us all to struggle with anxiety. That's, that's normal. Sometimes also I needed to say anxieties can be caused by medical things and they don't need necessarily spiritual answers. They might need medical answers. They might need sort of, um, I don't know, cognitive behavioral therapy or things like that. Or it, it's, God has given common grace sometimes and perhaps you've been through trauma or difficulty or all sorts of things like that. It can be reasons why we get anxious about certain things. It's not always because we're not reading our Bibles enough. It can be that there's stuff we're carrying that's, that's gone on in our lives. So all of that is part of medicine. If you have a broken leg, well, you need someone to fix it. Sometimes we can have things broken in our minds because of things we've gone through and we need help medically to, to fix that. So there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But how do we actually practically make some starts on on dealing with the anxieties of this age? Well, there's a a beautiful verse in the Bible that says, Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. And sometimes uh, that can be something we have to keep on doing. I can remember uh, several times in my life, actually, where... Um, I've walked along the beach and have been troubled by some things. And I can remember picking up, actually, a big stone. And almost like praying, or praying, saying, Lord, this stone represents this that I'm worried about, this I'm anxious about, this I can't seem to get through on. I'm troubled about this. I'm worried about this. This is a big care to me. This is a heavy stone. And then I looked out at the sea and I said, but Lord... I'm casting my care on you. It's very liberating. I wouldn't do it around here because you would <laughs> get arrested. But find somewhere where you can throw a stone. If you can find a stone or, um, I don't know, get hold of a croissant, throw that. Just, <laughs> just do something, something similar that will work. It will just do it for you. Piece of cake afterwards. Something... Physical, tangible, can actually sometimes um, bring a sense of relief. I remember using that illustration with someone once who was very troubled about something. They were, they were troubled and troubled, really, really, really anxious. And I told them that story. They saw me a few days later and they said, that really helped me. I went upstairs, I opened my bedroom window and I took a cushion and I held it out the window and dropped it. And they said, I just felt so better. And I thought, I wonder what your neighbours thought. They were watching (laughs) do that. But the thing, it was was something practical that they felt casting it. And I've found that through my life occasionally. I've had to physically give something to God. And somehow it helps my mind, or my body helps my mind to really feel, now I've given this. Now, you might think, yeah, once isn't going to be enough for me. Well, do it until you feel it's gone. That's what meditating on the Scriptures is about, giving again and again things to God that might come back. Remember the weeds keep growing in the field, don't they? You think, yeah, dear, but I've been weeding this piece of ground for years. Yeah, keep doing it, because the day will come when it's a field of corn, not a field of weeds. Right? Because we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. 
Jesus will always have the last word. Jesus will present all of us faultless before uh, his Father. Jesus will have a people that are more and more transformed into his likeness. He is working in you more than you realize. That's a wonderful thing. We just have to cooperate with him. Corrie Ten Boom says this, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. It's like carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it empties today of its strength. That's very wise. So we have to train ourselves to cast things, to rest in things, to understand the environment we're living in, to consider, is this me is this something I'm working on? Is there some stronghold that I need a little bit of help, healing prayer with? Which isn't, doesn't have to be a big deal. It can just be something very simple. And then uh, a couple more things, and then we, uh, we'll see where we go. Um, a guy called Pablino, Pablo Martinez has wrote, uh, wrote in a book called Take Care of Yourself. It's a very good book, actually, Take Care of Yourself. It's, um, uh, I think you can get it on Kindle and on paper. It's a very thin book, but Take Care of Yourself. And he said, um, two, two artists were asked to paint, each paint a picture to illustrate their conception of what they understood rest to look like in picture form. Right, so two artists paint rest, paint a picture that says rest. The first chose for his scene a still, lonely lake among the far-off mountains. Doesn't that sound nice? Are you there? Can you see that? Just imagine it. It's on all the holiday brochures. And you all, next when you're commuting tomorrow morning, think of that lake, the mountains. Oh, wish I was there. Wish I was there. The fact is, 99% of us will never get there. Because it's too expensive. There's not that many lakes. Because it wouldn't be lonely. Because we'd all be there, right? There's, it's probably not going to happen. And even if it does, it's probably going to be bad weather when you get there. Right? It's, it's, it's unlikely to... It, it, oh, if only I was away in the mountains, I wouldn't be anxious. That's how one guy painted it. Second guy, on his canvas, wildly painted a thundering waterfall. But a closer look revealed that a fragile birch tree was bending over the mist of the roaring water. And at the fork of the branch, wet with spray, there sat a robin on its nest. The first painting was only stagnant, but the second truly described what it means to be at rest. For in rest, there are always two elements, tranquility and energy, silence and turbulence, Creation and destruction, fearlessness and fearfulness. It was the same way with Christ. I think that's a beautiful thing because we live in tumultuous waterfall all the time, don't we? But to learn to cultivate this beautiful rest in the midst of this spray of waterfall going on around us, that's the kind of thing I think God is wanting to... We're not trying to escape... It's not escapism, it's learning how to live in the midst of turbulence. Learning how to live well in the middle of that. 
Someone said to me once about anxiety and knowing, you know, whether this, what God's trying to say to us. They said to me, God speaks to the fella in the cellar, not the fanatic in the attic. I've never forgotten that. I thought, that's actually very good. And sometimes if we're very diligent Christians, we can get worried about whether we're a good enough Christian. Oh, it's God speaking to me. Am I, oh, am I, oh, do I need to repent? <laughs> we can feel very anxious even about the way we're growing as Christians. God speaks to the fella in the cellar very quietly, gently, assure, assuredly, not to the fanatic in the attic. The sort of rampant, extraordinary thoughts that we tend to often feel we have. Another tip would be keep the company of wise friends who have good perspective. I bless God for good friends who've journeyed with me through life who, when I get troubled, are able to just speak to me. Sue and I help each other that way. We're both quite different in the way we think about things, but if I'm anxious about something, Sue's perspective will normally help me. If she's anxious about something, I hope I do the same. It's, it's just having people around you who can give you balance and perspective and godly wisdom. There's another book I would re- uh, recommend. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Again, written very recently, but really helpful for this age we live in. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. So, um, we've just got a f- literally a few minutes, so we're just going just to ask... Any questions? That was the other thing Steph said. Just ask us any questions. I'll try and answer them. Sue may help me if she's got something to add. We've only got a few minutes. But any questions on anything I've said about anxiety or handling it? Yes. trying to grow spiritually but feeling you can't get beyond a certain point in understanding. Well, I guess in some ways all of us are always journeying into knowing what we know but is also unknowable because there's a, there's, a, there's a vastness to God's truth, isn't there? It's a bit like if you ever see a swallow uh, flying over a lake and it dips and it just fills its beak with water and then just flies off. That swallow's had a belly full of water, but there's a huge lake that it's not even immersed itself in. And it's a bit like that in the Christian life. We can, even in our, even our greatest experiences in God, we can feel like a belly full of understanding of what God's done. There's still a whole lake to drink. Uh, and I think the biggest challenge is if we're worrying that we're perhaps not growing as fast as we want to. In which, I, in which case I would just say, just chill out. Realise, actually, unless God reveals things to us, we're, we're just striving. Now, it may be that there's, there can be blockages, um, and it's worth getting some prayer, for sure. But it can also be a progressive thing. Um, it can be to do with a background and all sorts of stuff like that, and we, we can have certain blind spots due to how we... Um, 
grew up. I mean, I yeah, probably haven't got time to go into. Should I go into this? I've got about two minutes left. Um, so, like, my father died when I was nine. Right, so it's very young. If your father died, and so my mum raised me on her own, and she really struggled with. And I can remember feeling I had to become the man of the house because it was just me. Uh, and what that can produce is an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. So even in adult life, you then carry on trying to solve everything because you've just say you've grown up. So when I became a Christian, God had to start working on me to actually say, I'm the father. Right? I'm the father, not you. So you can just, your, your job is done. I'm now taking charge. Now, whilst that's true conceptually, a whole childhood of upbringing and then into adult life, you can't just tell yourself that and change. Right? You have to go through the process of growing, learning. Now, because our Father in Heaven is so much kinder to us than we dare even imagine, He's very patient, He loves us, He knows how to help us. He really does know how to help us. He, he, I mean, He's brilliant at it. And we worry that he's not. We worry, well, I've got to, I've got to learn, I've got to learn, I've got to, I've got to change. No, no, this is a work of the Spirit which we cooperate with. We are always responders, we are not initiators. Just think about that. In terms of the gospel, we did not save ourselves. We respond to his initiative, even in our discipleship and our changing. Yes, we have to put effort in, like the serving team said, we have to... But even that is a response to something we know God is prompting us about. It's not slavish obedience. It's a responding out of love. So I don't, I don't know if that helps. Uh, right, probably uh, one more quick one. Anything else? Oh, sorry, yes. Man, two minutes, why did I say that? Uh, uh, if the choices that are being made are genuinely godly choices, and you think this is an issue of conscience, I have to do these things because they are right before God, I can't keep living this way because that's not the right way, then in that sense, doesn't it say, you know, carry each other's burdens, yeah, but each one must carry their own load. So if we end up living compensating for someone who isn't carrying their own load, we actually become bent out of shape. And we might feel that we're helping them, but actually we're not helping them. Because what we're doing is stopping them from having to carry their own load. Do you see what I mean? So that's the best principle I can give. Um, Manipulation, control... Those sorts of things, emotional pressure that we can feel, if I do this, what's the effect on that person going to be? If it's a godly thing we're having to make a decision on, we have to trust God with the consequences and know that he will um, help us. And I think that's one of the, you're touching on something that's actually a huge issue. Uh, It's a great question, um, which I haven't got any more time to answer. So I think I'll stop there. (laughs) Uh, And uh, Malcolm will... Lead us on. <laughs> <laughs>